will be damned if I allow someone or people get in my way when I know that the majority of the people in this community are hurting. And usually if we're hurting, I know that there are uh, thousands of others that are in the same boat. So my goal, as my parents have always taught me, that whatever you want for yourself and your family, you need to also want the same for your friends and for your coworkers and for your community. Yes. That is the only way that you advance. It's the only way that you can progress. And to be honest with you, when you are in it and you see it, you're more authentic and people really will accept you and understand what you're going through and want to support you. Hey friend, are you a leader who is career focused, goal driven and possess a lifelong learner mentality? Do you dream about achieving your goals and spend hours Googling how to's and gurus? Does a side effect of your awesome, might I add, personality include perfectionism, the dreaded imposter syndrome and the ever present fear of failure? Well, you've landed in the right place. We just became virtual BFFs. I'm Erin Deal, the founder of the improv training company Improve It and a recovering perfectionist turned failfluencer. Inspired by the improv rule, there are no mistakes, only gifts. This podcast is the creative outlet you need to not only motivate you, but the people that you lead. Through interviews with corporate leaders, entrepreneurs, and even comedians, you'll walk away becoming a more empathetic boss by realizing that failure is a part of the journey and you must fail in order to improve. In the scene of life, we all have our own unique gifts that we bring to the world, and it is our mistakes that help to unwrap them. Welcome to Failed It. Hello, Failed It family. I am thrilled to have today's guest with us. We have an amazing woman in our midst. Please welcome to the Failed It podcast, Amina Kareem, community activist, hero, and state director at Unite Us. Welcome, Amina. I am so thrilled and just incredibly honored to join you this morning. I really am. This is, this is going to be a really great conversation. I agree. And I just think I I researched you. I've looked at your background and I can't wait to hear all about the work that you're putting into this world. You're bringing so much light and love and, and just good. So failed at family, get ready because you're in for a very nice treat. So, all right, I'm going to start by reading your resume here or your resume. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm going to read uh, every single word on your resume to the Failed at Family. No, I'm going to read your bio here. Um, and I just want you to take it in, Amina, because you've done some great stuff. So Amina is an award-winning health equity activist, a master relationship builder, and result-oriented leader with an evidence-based orientation with more than 15 years of experience at technology marketing and community engagement. She has demonstrated experience working with startups and enterprise technology organizations where she is accustomed to wearing many hats. Now, in 2020, she raised more than $500,000 to support food insecure BIPOC communities. Welcome to the show, Amina! 
Yay, I am here and ready to go. I'm totally leaning in this morning with you. I know we both said before the show, I'm I'm your morning cup of tea slash coffee. Absolutely. Yes, you're my morning cup of coffee. It's early, failed at fam, but we're doing it. We're here to talk about failure bright and early. Um, So let me start by this. What's one thing or one fun fact that we couldn't find about you from your resume, your Instagram, or your LinkedIn profile? Yeah. So really quickly, my mother, my late beloved, wonderful mom, uh, used to be a ballroom dancer and she used to teach um, a lot of um, ethnic international dancing to primarily to disenfranchise um, uh, communities with children. And she did that for maybe 25, 30 years. Um, so because of her love of ballroom dancing, I became actually enthralled as well. And I used to do a lot of um, Afro-Cuban, Afro-Latin salsa dancing, uh, as well as other international dancing. And so I did that for a number of years myself, uh, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. So that's a little fun fact that you probably wouldn't find anywhere. <laughs> can you still like bust a move today? Like you can still do that, right? Because you don't lose that. You don't lose it, but what's happening now, it's a little bit different back in the day where, you know, in that community, the salsa community, it's, it's, it's non-generational. So you can basically dance on the floor with someone that's 90 years old or someone that's 15 years old. So it's, it's not like, um, Unfortunately, how we are in our regular, uh, just the modern kind of dancing now where everything is so just, you know, hyper sexually, you know, that has that uh, sexual orientation to it. If you're dancing maybe off of, you know, Britney Spears and I love her or Janet Jackson or J-Lo or Beyonce, you have to have you have to be a certain age. Right. And have a certain look. Right. Right. And and that culture is not like that. It's just anyone can dance and enjoy themselves. However, I've noticed over the last uh, maybe decade or so that it's very choreographed, you know, all the Mm. arm uh, routines. And so it makes it a little bit more um, like a heavy lifting, cumbersome um, when you're dancing. And it's not as uh, just very natural. But with that still being said, I haven't danced in a long time. But it's that spirit that you get when you hear that music, when you hear like, uh, you know, Mark Anthony or the late uh, Celia Cruz. You just it's just wonderful. And I I remember looking at the beautiful ballroom dancing on WTTW with my mom and uh, and just I just enjoyed it. And so it still brings a lot of light you know, in me. And uh, at some point I will get back to that. My daughter is now headed off to college so I can kind of find me again and just some of the things that I used to do before I became a mom. <laughs> yes. I have a two-year-old. I can relate. Okay. Right? Exactly. So. <laughs> that is so cool. That is so cool. And you're right. It is. I actually danced my entire life till I was about 23 haven't, you know, the kids are on the ticky talky yes. and, um, you know, I just haven't, I haven't dabbled either myself. And I think it's just such a beautiful art form. And you're right. When you hear Mark Anthony, when you hear that music, come on, you just, oh. it just fuels your soul. It really oh. does. Yes. So speaking of fueling your soul, um, you recently just started a new position as the state director at Unite Us. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now and then what drew you to Unite Us? Of course. So Unite Us is a social determinants of health technology company, and we're committed to building healthier communities 
as well as closing health equity gaps uh, throughout communities across the United States. Uh, there are two gentlemen that started it in 2013 that were military veterans. They uh, were trying to help their, their veterans uh, with support and resources and found that the you know, the world in which they were in was very disparate um, systems in terms of getting uh, help and support. And so they took that orientation and scaled it across um, all the states, uh, most states rather. And so there are over 8,500 partners that we have across the country that consist of and not, you know, included but not limited to healthcare providers, uh, community based organizations, uh, nonprofits social care uh, providers as well, all trying to provide uh, support, wraparound services for individuals. So what does that all mean? If I'm an individual and let's say I I go to my food bank and I discuss, you know, I lost my job as well. Not only am I food insecure, but I lost my job. And by the way, losing my job, I may also lose my home. So this network allows you to be able to send and receive electronic referrals across the network that consist of all these awesome organizations that provide housing and clothing and food and transportation and employment and mental health uh, and a lot of social care services, because we know that the future is rooted in the communities. We live and work in our communities. Right. We don't live in hospitals. And we all know that the current model that is today is not working. And 80% of all of our social determinants are not in the hospital. Only 20% is clinical clinical care. The other 80%, especially if you live in certain zip codes, uh, in Chicago was a report that was just out by the Chicago Sun-Times, is also by the Chicago Department of Health, that African-Americans have a 9.2 years lifespan, shorter lifespan than all the other populations in the Chicagoland area. And, it's, and in some zip codes, is even, I'm sure, even wider. And those social determinants are whether it's a high unemployment, if I don't have enough money to go from, you know, from my home to my to see my doctor, then there's a transportation gap. Uh, there are also socioeconomic issues that's dealing with employment and education um, and all, all the other social determinants, I, just yesterday, unfortunately, in South Shore, which is a community in which I live in, we just had a mass shooting. Mm. What that is, those are chronic, uh, you know, stressors on people who are not a part of that, right? But but you hear more gunshots than you hear birds chirping. So that can play a lot on your mental health. It creates uh, trauma and stress. Um, and, and so if you already have a lot of uh, pre, you know, uh, conditions such as maybe lupus or um, diabetes or hypertension, what it does, unfortunately, is a combustible mix of a situation that just will become even more exacerbated. And we all saw that through the pandemic. So my role uh, with this great organization is to really connect with healthcare and uh, social care providers, as well as nonprofits and community-based organizations, and enable them to connect within you know, this network across all the communities in Illinois and provide those wraparound services to individuals and families to get them the, the services that they need, because they're not going to find that in just 
you know, a hospital setting, right? Yeah. And so that's my goal. And, you know, I, it was really an extension of what I was doing just from a micro level. During the pandemic, my sister, and she still is very ill, was gravely ill. She had been in the intensive care for about nine months and they had just released her. Uh, University of Chicago had just released her. And I don't know, maybe about three weeks later, I had to do a resuscitation on her. I'd never gone through that before in my life. Mm. The 911 operator was so awesome. Later, she won the Red Cross Award because I, I searched her. Oh, good. Oh. Nominated her for a Hero Award because without her, um, just her expertise and her intuition and tell, in terms of telling me what to do over the phone. But what I realized is not only was my sister in this grave situation, on top of that, we lived in a former food desert for six years. So if grocery store had just opened, maybe three months going into the pandemic, and we couldn't find a, a delivery service platform to deliver in the community, and you're already dealing with a community that already had a high mortality uh, rate. We actually had one of the highest in the Chicago area. So my goal, as my parents have always taught me, that whatever you want for yourself and your family, you need to also want the same for your friends and for your coworkers and for your community. Yes. That is the only way that you advance. It's the only way that you can progress. And to be honest with you, when you are in it and you see it, you're more authentic and people really will accept you and understand what you're going through and want to support you. Sure. Yeah. And so when I went through that with my sister, which was very traumatic for the family, and I'm sure it was even more traumatic for her, was to really actually dive a little bit deeper and find out what could I do for my community and then Chicagoland as a whole within the Black, Indigenous, people of color community, because that's where a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of uh, the you know, disenfranchised communities uh, where there's higher unemployment, there's, uh, you know, higher um, COVID rates. And, you know, it just, it, unfortunately, the zip codes here sometimes predetermine your health. And so I, you know, use my marketing and communication uh, expertise. And I reached out to uh, Instacart and the um, policy manager there, uh, Mr. Kelly, and we talked about joining forces and then supporting a business. Eva Jakubowski, who owns local market foods in South Shore, was one of the first. Um, she actually is the only grocery store within that footprint. We sat together and we talked about how can we repurpose and redesign her business specifically, you know, during the pandemic to do three things. One was to deliver food until we actually had a partnership with Instacart. So we basically transmuted her uh, employees into delivery drivers, right? Wow. Wow. Every week we were delivering about 500 grocery bags per, you know, every week for months. It was called Feeding South Shore. Yes. And we delivered to the most vulnerable population. So that was basically, uh, you know, the elderly, people who were on um, maybe SNAP but had no connectivity online, obviously, right? If you, if you, if you have a, 
if you don't have a, a delivery platform, how can you use your snap cards, right? And then a lot of the delivery platforms were not actually accepting snap cards, right? So that was an issue. And then children obviously didn't have uh, the kind of resources they needed. The school system is not uh, set up to feed a community long term, right? So, you know, short term they have, uh, and they did a great job with really actually responding in real time. But the food, I wanted to make sure that the food that we provided was A, culturally appropriate and B, healthy. Because what we didn't want to do was to deliver food that contribute to already people that already have diabetes and hypertension, right? And so really understanding the culture, really understanding the people, and then actually having those that dialogue. And so I worked with the videographer and we, we had these documentaries that we put together and we interviewed hundreds of families. And what we learned from all of that was that they had even more uh, deeper social determinants of health uh, challenges. And that is, hey, I don't have computers in my home. I can't see a doctor. They're not allowing us in there. How do I connect with my doctor if I don't have a computer? So then I connected with PCs for People and had uh, them to support me as well as the other organizations that I uh, worked with and partnered with. And we delivered computers to these families that we're also delivering food to. And then also, yeah, and then Instacart stepped in and said, you know what, we're going to accelerate this partnership, even though it takes weeks to set up all these food SKUs online. But they accelerated the, uh, the, the partnership, which was the first you know, the first of its kind. And what we did was create a blueprint for how the private and public sectors are supposed to come together and support a community. And I really want to thank also Verizon. You know, they stepped in and supported, donated, you know, $25,000, Wow! And then from that, and because of that, then the media was really interested in how communities can move forward and progress and just the grassroots kind of activities. And because of that, then I had all these private donations that just poured in you know, from Canada, from, you know, people that didn't want to, wanted to remain anonymous, um, from a nonprofit. So it just became really, I stepped out of it personally from my, it started with my sister. I got out of the way and really wanted to focus on just a larger, um, you know, swath or, or to scale it so that yeah. we could really support communities, not just in South Shore, but communities outside of South Shore that had similar issues. And so it, it started with Feeding South Shore and then we called it Feeding Chicago Families because it included schools and hospitals and rescue centers for women who were, uh, you know, physically abused and just all, all, all kinds of organizations, reentry um, people who just came, you know, uh, who were obviously incarcerated, came back into the, the workforce or trying to find jobs and needed computers, uh, needed food. And what I learned is just they make it happen. Like, let's reduce some of the rhetoric. You hear, you hear people who have good intentions, but sometimes they don't move the needle. And I mean, let me stop you right there because you moved the needle. Can you can you see that? Can you see how you just moved this needle from for so many communities? Sorry to interrupt you, but I had to stop because I was like, 
did you hear what you just said? Like, did you hear the impact of lives that you just created in a year? Did you hear that? You know what? I was in such an, I was so in the thick of it, meaning I was getting up every, you know, a few days out of the week at seven o'clock in the morning, you know, putting grocery bags together. I really couldn't see and feel, I couldn't see the impact because I was so in it every, you know what I mean? And packing the bags and getting, and so it was only until I actually started filming individuals. Originally, they didn't want to go on camera for humility. And I get it. You know, people lost their jobs. Now they're standing in a food line or, um, and when I started hearing all these people, and when I mean people from different backgrounds, so from a 90 year old to a woman who's, you know, in her thirties, who just lost her job and has a child that's in grade school to, you know, grandparents that, you know, were retired, but didn't have enough means to, you know, go all, all the way through in terms of the, the pandemic because they had to spend extra money, right? Everyone who was spending extra money on on food and electricity and all, you know, things that you didn't plan for. Yeah. And so all these stories were told in such a impactful, genuine, authentic way that what it allowed me to do is really create a narrative, control the narrative in the black and brown communities because oftentimes you get these stories and I get it on one side of the ledger, you know, I'm not live. I don't have this Disney um, lens where, you know, all is good. Right. So I know that on one side of that ledger, yes, there are things that we have to work on as a community in terms of getting the crime rates down, getting that unemployment uh, rates, you know, lower and making sure that people have quality of life. That's one side of the, the, the ledger. The other side is that there are people who just want to be able to walk up and down their community, go to a grocery store or, you know, have that experience like we have on the north side of Chicago where you don't even think about, you know, being shot. Right. Or you don't think about not having more than one store to go to for food. Because there's there's so much they have this you know economic um, uh, development in in communities across Chicago on the other side it's almost like a tale of two cities. It really I mean really is and a lot of people listening to the show some live in Chicago now we have you know a very wide na- you know nationwide audience based on the pandemic but I will say if you haven't been to Chicago it is it's two completely different cities on two sides of the city so sorry keep going cuz yeah. I wanted I wanted you to feel this I mean I wanted you to realize what you've done because our audience is primarily leaders in corporate America right and I think the pandemic made everybody stop and say okay what am I doing? Am I prioritizing the right things? Am I helping the right people? Am I helping myself? Is my mental health okay? And you not only were selfless in this act, you literally, you know, helped your sister, which ultimately led to helping hundreds of thousands of people. And now you've got this awesome, awesome awesome community that is serving other communities and it's scalable and you're doing all of this because you saw a need and you said i need to fill it overachiever perfectionist career-minded focused ah did those words resonate with you it's aaron your recovering perfectionist 
Turn Palefluence are here, and I want to give a shout out to all my type A leaders out there who are failing it left and right in this quote unquote new normal. Ew. Those words are gross, but they are unfortunately true. So that's why myself and team have decided to celebrate F words at work. That's right, we at Improve It are throwing a F word party. That's F is in Frank, and we can bring that party to you and your team. Now, our newest virtual offering, F Words at Work, is a virtual keynote delivered by yours truly. You need a way to engage 50 plus or even hundreds of your team members via Zoom. Our one hour F Words at Work keynote will do just that. Now, unlike our workshops where we are in and out of breakout rooms, this keynote is a way to appeal to the masses. I don't want you to worry because it is still uber interactive and the F words may not be what you think. So with the notion that failure plus the frequency of failure equals the fundamentals of success, I'll take you and all of the other recovering perfectionists of your organization on a virtual journey filled with laughs, learning, and living. Reach out to us at learntoimproveit.com on our contact us page to learn more. And I cannot wait to drop some F-bombs with you. Can I ask you a question really quick? What would you say to a member of the Failed It family who's a corporate leader right now who has something standing in their way in their community, maybe their organization, their team, what would you tell somebody in the Failed It family who's listening, who is listening to this story and is like, oh my God, she did all of this in a year because I wanted you to feel yeah. what you did. I mean, it's crazy. It's in a, it's a year and a half and you've created this community. You've, you've used your marketing background to work with huge brands like Verizon and Instacart and you've rallied a group of people to help others. And that's just that's a short period of time to do something so amazing. So what would you tell somebody listening today who wants to do the same thing for their organization or their community? What's an action item you would tell them to do right away to get started? Yeah, I would say three things. So first, you have to be passionate about whatever it is that you want to go into, right? So whatever that is, and I can't, and I can't tell you, but even if it's just that one thing that you really want and you say, you know what, but I can't do it because there are, you know, people on the left, people on the right, people on the center that may uh, create barriers for me, or maybe I don't have enough money, or maybe I don't know the right people, or whatever that is, I will tell you, and please hear my words, you don't really need, and this is a quote by the great Shirley Chisholm, and I live it every single day. You may not have a seat at the table, so you bring a folding chair. And what I mean by that is you don't allow anyone to get in your way and tell you what you can and cannot do when you know it's the right thing. Because I will tell you, when I first started with Feeding South Shore, and there is, if you can, if you, for all of their listening, if you want to get the tape through the Freedom of Information Act, <laughs> I had a hard time getting it off, off, you know, get the train moving because the, some of the people didn't feel as though it was, I'm also a special service area commissioner um, for my area. And um, 
my my job is to support and help the businesses in South Shore, which is a predominantly African-American community. The median household income is about $26,000, which is half of the city's average. It's about 38% of people living below poverty. And before the pandemic, it was about 60% of risk for food security. So we got a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues going on. However, the community, for anyone that wants to ever come here, if you, if you just look at it on, on its, um, you know, face value, where we're only seven minutes away from the downtown area. We are only five minutes away from the Museum of Science and Industry. We're, we're nestled among golf courses, uh, maybe five minutes away from the, the Obama Presidential Center, if it uh, if they ever get that started. It's been a moment. It's been a moment. Um, and beaches. So if you just look at it, and I can see literally the golf course, if I walk three feet from my door, I can I can see it. It's a beautiful community. And I thought about it and I said, I will be damned if I allow someone or people get in my way when I know that the majority of the people in this community are hurting. And usually if we're hurting, I know that there are uh, thousands of others that are in the same boat. So I'm going to also get out of my way and not put up barriers, perceived barriers for me. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get results. I'm a very results-oriented person, and I'm very process-oriented as well. And what I mean by that is nothing just happens randomly. You do have to plan. You have to, if you can, put some metrics, especially if you're asking for for funding, uh, if you have it. Tell a great story and have supporting evidence and then you just move forward. You take your folding chair and you go forward. Yes. <laughs> yeah, create those barriers because sometimes you can create it yourself as well because you you think, who am I? I'm not, you know, I'm not the mayor or I'm not this, you know, elected politician or I'm not, you know, someone that everyone knows. I don't have a lot of money. And you just start coming up with all these barriers for yourself in addition to other people who may also throw some, you know, some uh, (laughs) balls in there as well, right? So what you don't want to do is just have all these barriers that you create. You want to have a clear conscience. You know what's out there. You know the evidence. I just quoted some of these numbers to you, right? Low income, you know, community on the cusp of a 60% of risk for food security. I had the numbers. I know. I knew what we needed to do. I needed to tell a great story. I had willing business partners in the community to support uh, like local market foods and the South Shore Chamber of Commerce and special service area commissioners, SSA 42. I knew that that I had to get that done. And I just stepped out of the way. I created um, a plan and I moved forward and I just kept scaling it. And I told my story and I created my narrative and I stayed consistent with my message. It never wavered. So whether I was talking to the media, talking to a politician, talking to someone in the community who really needed support, the messaging stayed consistent. So no matter what, it it was always consistent. Um, And so uh, to me, I think that was my recipe. And, you know, because of that, 
you know, Brown University actually will be re, uh, interviewing me a little bit later today because they want to know why that, that or University of, of um, California at Berkeley interviewed me for their research uh, last, uh, I think now two months ago now, uh, and then the University of Illinois. So it's it's actually just having having that vision and then actually implementing it. You can have the best ideas, but if you don't execute flawlessly and then have people the right people with you on your journey, it, then it becomes a little gray. And yes. I'm not saying you're not going to have, you know, bumps in a row because that is just life <laughs> and you will fail at it. Right. That's it. That's yeah. it. That's but you it. keep going and you just get, you just continue to improve. Oh, let me stop you right there, Ramina, because you just <laughs> hit on a title that I like. Improve <laughs> it. Okay. Yes. I got to say this. I mean, what I'm hearing you say, and and just to kind of get this to our failed at family, is just stay consistent. Have a plan. Bring, get the right people on the bus, and then drive that bus. And if you got to go off road, go off road a little bit, right? And figure it out. Get back on the road, and figure out what to do next time, or what you did that you won't do next time, so you stay on that path. And I mean, consistency is so key. I I think that's so true for so many leaders out there who have a vision, but they just don't have the roadmap. And so they give up because it's, it, it seems impossible. But what you've done is really create that vision. Tell you figured out your story. I love that you said, you know, I have these data points. I told that story time after time after time. And it's so cool. Look at what you're doing. I mean, first of all, I mean, you're on the failed at podcast. Then you get to talk to Brown University. I mean, what a day. Okay. No, I mean, <laughs> Brown is definitely cooler than us, cooler than us. Um, but I think, this is just such a testimony of getting out of your own way and saying, you know, I'm not going to give these barriers or these limiting beliefs to myself. I have a passion and I have confidence and I'm going to lead with conviction and I believe in this project. So I'm going to continue to keep pushing forward. And I just think that's such a lesson for all of us because as you said, you had so many bumps in the road. There's so many fails, I'm sure, on the day-to-day that you had to overcome to just keep moving forward. But when you get those people on video saying how you've impacted their lives, I'm sure that it's all worth it, right, in the end, because you knew what the end goal was. Absolutely. And the one thing, too, I what I learned is that sometimes when you're going after something, it may even change into something even bigger, even yes. something even more larger than what it is. So I always said that I'm not a food bank, right? Because there are some awesome, awesome, fantastic food banks with hundreds of trucks and, you know, thousands of employees and volunteers across the country, right? That's not me. That's that's not what I was doing, right? My goal was health inequities, closing health equity gaps, And if you talk about health equity, that includes food, of course, but it also includes other social determinants, which is why I was able to connect with other partners, such as PCs for people, for computers, for telehealth, right? Because that's a health issue. If you don't have computers, talking to these individuals and then working with the Citizen app for people who may not be familiar with the Citizen app. That's a real-time app that gives you um, alerts that's going on in your community, right? Um, I connected with them doing the uh, civil unrest because the businesses work. When when I tell you that the business 
businesses were completely um, damaged, they were gone. Sure. sure. (laughs) Because we did so much, we had so much goodwill, local market foods was maybe uh, impacted less than 3% because the, the community said, look, here they are delivering food to us. Here they are supporting the community. We had all these great uh, community organizations to, to basically have this human ring around the store. We had community people that said, this store is not going to go down. Even with the larger stores, when they completely folded, right? Uh, whether it was Jewels in Chicago, Target closed, even Whole Foods had closed. I mean, these are larger, massive stores. This little store wasn't touched and we were the only ones still open during the wow. pandemic. Okay. I just got chills. Like yeah. that's because I can imagine you said there were a ring of people, community leaders just are standing outside of the store, protecting the store because literally the store was protecting everyone in that community. You got it. So like organizations like the Neighborhood Na- uh, Network um, Alliance, the NNA, uh, was quite, so they're the largest block cl- Black Club organization, they, you know, partnered and say, hey, we're not going to allow this store to fold either because we've been fighting so hard to get this store to come to the community. And then just to kind of go back with the Citizen app, I reached out to them and said, hey, these businesses were very vulnerable. What can we do now moving forward so that they don't become as vulnerable as they once were? Meaning when the looting was happening, a lot of stores didn't know that the looting was happening right next door to them or right down the street, right? But if you are getting these real-time alerts from a business district perspective, that means you can close your doors, right? Or you can ask for additional security. You can tell the customers in your store, we're going to keep our doors closed so you don't have to go out and, and you know get harmed. So the Citizen app designed a special platform for me for the business district in South Shore so that they can communicate with each other and they can send and receive these alerts. That's what's happening within their uh, footprint so that each of them can make, you know, their own actionable decisions, whether or not they keep their doors closed. If there's another major, you know, uh, looting uh, episode that happens. So all of this happened within the same time. Cause remember the pandemic happened like around March or April, when most people were really kind of understanding what was happening. And then unfortunately we had the George Floyd fallout. That was in May. Our second pandemic, right? That was right. our second pandemic. Right. Yes. So all of this was happening all around within the you know, two, three months time frame of each other. And so that's why I truly believe that a lot of these companies, particularly the tech companies, can really use their intelligence uh, and their, you know, their, um, their bandwidth help these disenfranchised communities because oftentimes African-Americans have a, and uh, the Latinx community have a higher um, propensity and adoption rate of using their products to begin with. So why not comport yourself as a corporate citizen and really give back and not just the, you know, we support Black Lives Matter or we we support it. But then what but what are you actually doing? Like, I want to see some action. I want to see some actual implementation and supporting of policies uh, and really driving home, you know, these all these health inequities that are happening in the communities. That's what I look at. Such a good point. What are you really doing? Right. Yeah. 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 It's a good story to tell. And I and I do think it is a blueprint for how communities can 
hold people accountable, hold companies accountable, businesses accountable, hold ourselves accountable, um, and just continue to move forward and not look back. Oh, my God. Okay. You are an angel on this earth. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so many leaders listening today, that is the soundbite of all soundbites. I mean, that is that is it. And it's just holding ourselves accountable, holding other people and leaders and companies and organizations accountable for the actions and making the world that we want to live in, right? And making, so taking that on a microcosm level as a leader in an organization, making an organization that you want to work with or work for, making and creating a team that you want to see succeed and help grow and add to that team and diversify that team so it it looks and feels like the people in this world. And, and we help people with not only our words, but our actions. And what you just said, Amina, is just so beautiful. You're doing it. You've done it on a macro level, not a micro level. So congrats to you. I'm just thrilled that we know you, and I'm so thrilled to know the work that you're doing and to introduce that to the field at Family today because it's crazy what you've done and you're not looking back. You and, and I will say this, you know, this is something interesting, I think, that I hope you get to do soon. Improve It, the company that I founded, we were just plugging forward, plugging forward, plugging forward since 2015. I mean, I did not take a day to stop and reflect. I was like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And then... <laughs> For us, we were completely in-person business, so we had to shut down when the pandemic happened, and then we had to figure out how to become virtual, and luckily we did. But it was in those moments of pause where I was able to take a step back and really reflect on the beauty of the work that we've been able to provide to so many people, and I hope that you get that moment. I want you to keep moving forward because the world needs you, but I hope you get a moment to just take a step back and, and kind of open the yearbook of your last year and a half and just see, you know, the work that you've done. I'll sign your yearbook if you want, but it's beautiful. You're doing so much great work for Chicago and just for every community who's listening who can take these key takeaways that you've given us and apply them. So let me ask you this. This wouldn't be the Failed It podcast if I didn't ask you a couple of questions specific to failure. So what would you do even if you knew you might fail? Oh, wow. Okay. So if I know that I'm going to fail, I don't continue on that path. I have to still stop, pause, reflect, figure out what, what how can I tweak it? And then I, I go on another path, but, but if I'm still passionate about it, Maybe the process uh, that I'm that I'm using needs to be improved or tweaked. But if it, but if I know that it's for the better good of the world, it's for you know it's going to improve the world, it's going to make the world a better place, and it's the right thing to do, then I'm still going to keep the spirit of it. But I may just change the steps or the process. Mm. Uh, you know what I mean? I do. And I love that. Yeah, because the spirit's what keeps you moving forward. So I love that. Yes, because failure is a part of the journey. That's what we believe. There are no mistakes. They're only gifts. So anything that happens to us in terms of a, a bump in the road like you've encountered becomes a part of that story. And it's just material to help move us forward. It really is. And life would be so boring if you were just perfect, right? Right. 
who wants to hear a perfect story? That's it. I'm a recovering perfectionist turned fluencer. Okay. That's where I'm at. So I totally get it. I totally get it. I'm like, my nails chipped right now. Who cares? You know, uh, <laughs> there's always a great story to tell. And there's usually, you know, bumps in the road and how that person overcame their challenges. And that's the beauty of life. There is no such thing as a perfect uh, journey or perfect uh, road to travel on. And so if you keep that in mind, but always have, you know, just be genuine and authentic and be differentiated in what you're doing. Remember, at the top of the conversation, I said, I'm not a food bank and I'm not. And so I never went in that direction. But what I do, what I wanted to do is to make sure that I underscored that there were were health inequities and how do we how do we improve that and that's the message right if i just said i'm just going to be delivering food okay well then how does that make you different from you know all these other great organizations well i'll tell you a little bit story about what's happening in my community and then you'll see why it's a health inequity well, there's a health crisis actually that goes beyond just food and food plays a role but it's not the only starring role. There are so many other moving parts. And that's the differentiation. That's the narrative. That's the consistency with your messaging. And that's so important. And it's so true. I mean, that's what has, I think, and, and forgive me if I'm you know, putting words in your mouth here, but I really believe that that has differentiated you in such a way that it's created almost like a ripple effect and a magnet to your work because that is the message. It's not a food bank. It's we are helping health and social inequities. And I think that's what, I mean, the work that you have given to others to help, help volunteer with, help work with you on. Imagine how you're impacting the people who work with you too. I mean, they see the lives that they're changing every single day. So, yeah. okay. Well, I mean, we've made it to something we've special. This is, we got one more thing. There's a little improv here. There's yeah. a little thinking quickly on your feet. It's called the okay. fail. Yeah. Lightning round. Okay. So this is fun. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I want you to, as fast as you can respond with one word answers. Okay. Know that you cannot fail, but if you say more than one word, I'm going to give you this fail. Yeah. And like a creepy, no, no compound words, right? Just right. No words. hyphens, no hyphens, just one word. People are like, there's a hyphen. I'm like, no right. hyphen. Okay. You can't fail though. This is total for fun, but this is, it's really fast and we're going to go quick. Are you ready for the fail? Yeah. Lightning round. I'm okay. all in. All right. Here we go. Mina. Okay. One word to describe your early career. Oh my gosh. I would say, um, fail. Yeah. <laughs> I would say tenacity. If you knew what I had to go through, tenacity. Tenacity. Okay. Okay. One word to describe where you're currently at in your career. Fulfilled. Oh, one word to describe your future self. Bright. Oh, one word to describe your favorite boss. Resourceful. Mm, one word to describe your least favorite boss. Antagonistic. Ooh. And one word to describe your fashion style. Just want to hear this one. <laughs> Individual. Ooh, one word to, to describe your speaking style. Okay. I try to be clear. So clear, sorry. Clear. Yeah, I mean a fair year. <laughs> and one word to describe this interview. Soulful. <gasps> yes. Okay, golf claps. <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it. You didn't fail it. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, Amina. <laughs> Tell the Failed It family how they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Amina, that's A as an apple, M as in mother, E-N-A, like a man with an A at the end, Amina. And then the uh, last name is Kareem. It's K-A-R as in red, I-M as in mother, Kareem. You know, I could tell you the other, you know, social sites, but LinkedIn is fine. Love it. And I think that's probably the best way to go. (laughs) <laughs> okay, and follow her because I, I also found this video that we're going to link to in the show notes of you being interviewed about uh, the work that you're doing. So I want to share that with the Failed It family too, because it just gives a really great picture of what you've done for, for the South Shore community and now Chicago as a whole and more co- communities to come. So I mean, I thank you so much for thank you. no, no, you because you were a light in this world. I want you to 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 thank you for for taking your seat at the table and for being a voice to so many. The world needs more Amina. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. That's that's very kind of you. Very, I mean kind. it. I mean it. And then I just want to say to our failed it family, fail yeah, fail yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And keep moving. That's it. Love it. (laughs) Hey, friends. Thanks for tuning in to Failed It. I am so happy you were along for the ride. If you enjoyed this show, please head on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Now, if you're really feeling today's show, please take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram at Keeping It Real Deal and share it to your stories so we can bring more people to the Failed It family. I'll see you next week, but I want to leave you with this thought. What will you fail at today and how will that help your future successful self? Think about it. I'm so proud of you and you are totally failing it. See you next time.